serve. Championship point. Serves down the tee. The backhand through the throw to the court from Federer. Big heavy forehand from team. Team goes inside out for the forehand. Federer flicks that backhand cross court. The backhand from team. Inside in into the net goes Federer. It is game set and championship one for Dominic team. He is flat on his back. He cannot believe it. He has won the biggest title of his career beating the five-time champion Roger Federer in the process and he will be the new world number four. A shade over two hours, two hours and two minutes. Dominic Team is the champion in Indian Wells. 3-6-6-3-7-5. Dominic, massive congratulations. Can you just share with us just how big this moment is for you? I mean, for me, it's uh, really, it's unreal. Um, I was like the whole match in really in the zone. I, I mean, I enjoyed every second of it and I think I had to get used to Roger's game because first set he was he was playing amazing and uh, completely different than my opponents before in this tournament. So I I was struggling a little bit, but then I was fighting my way into the match. Got also a little bit lucky when I saved these break points early in the second set, and then I think it was a very good match until the end. And uh, last two games were were amazing, and of course I was a little bit on on nerves to serve it out. To be able to beat one of the greatest of all time in a big final, your first big title, must be extra special. Of course, I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure that Roger, one of the biggest legends of, of all time, still playing with us. We are still able to compete against him, especially in these in this great finals, and uh, it means so much to me. I lost my first two 1000 finals, and here I won it. It's uh, I mean, almost as uh, worthful as a, as a Grand Slam. Dominic team champion in the desert, reigning supreme in tennis paradise to win the biggest title of his career, to go back to his career high of world number four. And to do it, he had to beat five-time champion Roger Federer. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Gigi Seven alongside Mars McLagger. Now, Mars, the, the final only finished a few minutes ago, well, the speeches finished a few minutes ago, and I think we're still, we're still getting our breath back from what unfolded in the desert. We certainly are. What a final it was. I mean, a spectacular play from both men and an, an incredible level of intensity throughout. The tension rose towards the end. I think the crowd could scarcely believe when Dominic Team sealed that second set, never mind the third. Incredibly impressive, mentally tough performance from the Austrian. It was the variety that he showed to take that second set. As he said, that the mental strength to come through it. And he said it afterwards in that interview we heard there. He just really enjoyed himself out there today. He did. He, he's, he's, it looked like it as well. And he said he was in the zone throughout. And uh, one game, Roger Federer threw quite a few serving volleys at him. He made the adjustment. As you said, he got some returns past him. But he, he dealt with everything Federer threw at him and, and in fact, gave back plenty of his own. Some variation on the serve, a lot of heavy spins, a lot of power, and he certainly didn't allow Federer to get as comfortable as he's looked throughout the week. Now, a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to hear from Dominic Team himself talking about the new partnership with Nicholas Massou, former world number nine 
he got together with Masood because he saw how Masood translated his clay court prowess onto the hard courts when he reigned supreme in Athens in the Olympics. That's what he wanted to do. It's been an incredible week for that partnership. It certainly has. What a way to start on, on the best footing possible. Yeah, we all know about Dominic Team's clay court game, but he wants some more success in, in, on, on different surfaces. And uh, yeah, has met up with uh, Masood, likes the way he approaches things, and I don't think that's going to change in the near future. And Dominic Team, he wasn't someone, who, if I look at the predictions that we did as part of ATP Tennis Radio and the predictions competition that we're going to talk about a little bit later that runs through the whole of the season for the Masters tournaments, Team didn't appear. Yes, I know. Firstly, he's in a very tough bunch in, in the top echelon of the players, but secondly, when it comes to the clay courts, his name's going to be popping up all over the place. But in the past, he's not a name we would have predicted high up there on the hard courts. No, and, and particularly this week when he he hasn't had a particularly good start to the year, particularly by his standards, he's often ha gets a good run at the very least in the in the South American clay court swing. But he's a he's a hard worker. He's an incredible professional. So you. He, you'd trust that that was going to come right at some time. But in terms of our predictions, taking one from the top eight, he's not one that, to be honest, you'd take on the high core. But we might have to rethink things. Yeah, well, we might have to, but we're heading into the clay soon following Miami, and I think he's going to pop up all over the place. Roger Federer, he was looking for title 101. What does he take away from these 10 days in the desert? I think it takes away an, another great week. I mean, the tennis he played, the, the, the match, his second match against Stan Wawrinka was one of the most remarkable matches I've ever seen. He blew through him in around about an hour, give or take a few minutes. Stan wasn't playing badly, but he was just a, a side part in, in just a... Roger Federer rolling all over him it was so aggressive, a relentless march forward, incredible variation. Uh, he just he picked up a couple of breaks, one in each set, and came out on top. It was really, really spectacular. Just the third tournament of the year for Roger Federer, and that is just his second defeat of, of 2019. We know things are going to be slightly different miles this year for him because he's going to be stepping onto the clay and taking part in some tournaments there. But it, it is all about Roger Federer. We were having a little discussion before we started the podcast talking about rankings and and for you you're thinking like, I don't think Federer goes home and sits and counts up and subtracts and works out how many <laughs> points to to get back to number one at, at 37 with 100 titles it's it's about the titles it, it really is and I think he'll also be if he gets the titles that he wants the these big Masters 1000s and the Grand Slams, his ranking will maybe edge up towards that. But I don't think he builds his schedule around that. I mean, he is at a stage, we should stop talking about his age because he's playing some of the best tennis. And <laughs> we had him down as favorite to win the Indian Wells title. But, um, you know, he's got to be sensible. He always has been. He can't play week after week. And I think playing where he wants, where he enjoys it, where he thinks he can play well, and where he... he can win will continue to be his uh, his priority. If we stay with age as we look back on the tournament, we should give a nod to Ivo Karlovic because he's 40 years of age. He still has the passion, the desire and the drive to play and be performing at this level. And be a very, very tricky opponent. He's had a lot of time out with, with injury throughout his career. So in some ways, he's possibly been able to stay fresh. But he, he is a threat. He took out you know, rising star Borna Charic in the second round. Favorable third round against Gunaswaran from, uh, from, from India. And then, well, team 
was one of another one of team's impressive matches against him. But you know, Big Evo, he he's can still stay out there on the tour winning matches. Why why would you stop? <laughs> what other stories, people, headlines, matches stood out? I, I, for, for me, I think one of the matches for me was um, Martin Fucevic against Stan Wawrinka. Incredible match. It was late into the night. There was not an easy point there. It was brutal. It was exhausting. It was fascinating. And we've got to remember, it was also cold because the beginning of this tournament... They weren't it cold. Was, <laughs> they weren't cold. I remember Magnus Norman, though. He had his sleeves pulled up over his fingers. He was so cold. Yeah. That uh, that was an absolutely cracking, cracking match. But who are the, the people or the matches for you? Yeah. yeah. Let's not forget, look back over uh, 10 days, it was windy and, and cold. And but sandstorms at the start. All sorts. I think um, the young Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime, he, he took out Stefano Tsitsipas and in the second round played a great match there. Explosive, exciting. And then, of course, we were all watching to see how Nick Kyrgios would rebound from his Acapulco win. Didn't rebound so well. Philip Kohlschreiber was very impressive this week, beating first Kyrgios and then Novak Djokovic. Really, really impressive. Uh, and then he was blown apart by Gael Monfils. What tennis he's been playing, not just this week, but recently. Unfortunately, he couldn't compete against team. But those were a couple of my highlights. And Miomir Kekmanovic, for me, he came in for Kevin Anderson, who withdrew with the, the elbow problem. And he just looked so cool, calm and collected right up until the point that he um, he bumped into Milos Raonic, who himself had a very, very good tournament working with Fabrice and Toro here. Some some changes in, in the coaching box as we look down but it's it's nice to see the younger players it's nice to see even the Gunnar and he's an older player but it's nice to see these players having their moment winning some matches because what it does if you low down the rankings as we know you get an awful lot of points at Masters events and what it can do is it can it can change your schedule it can change your year it could possibly change your tennis career with the doors that it opens it, it could do yeah. um, Ketsmanovic is going to move into the top 100 from there and well talk about taking advantage of a, of a little break as you said going through losing and qualifying and then going through to the the quarterfinal and I think he's uh, I, I think he'll stay in the top hundred I think he'll he'll go up a, a little further needs to maybe just develop a couple of bigger weapons but you're right it's exciting to see some different players coming through and I think they're probably all giving each other a bit of belief because they're all winning a lot of matches you've got your Denis Shapovalov who played a couple of good matches this week beat, beat um, Marin Cilic of course, Hubert Hercatch, who was, I think, uh, possibly never used the word understated as much as I did when, when watching him play. But I mean it as a compliment. He, he, you know, he gets around the court very easily and he generates easy spin and he'll be winning a lot more matches in the future. I wanted to talk about Hubie for a little bit, the, the nickname that uh, his coach Craig Boynton was telling us about. Now, this is a, it's another, it's been some good trials in the desert, hasn't it? Cause, yes. cause Craig I Boynton, must make a note if I ever go over <laughs> new coaching job, start, start in Indian Wells. Because everyone's happy in Indian Wells. And yeah. So nice and relaxed. Um, Craig Boynton working with Steve Johnson and formerly Sam Querrey. The, the relationship just came to a natural end with Sam Querrey. He said we're actually going to be hearing a little bit later in the podcast the interview that Craig Boynton did with Jill. Teams up with Hubert Hercatch or Hubie. And that's got off to a great start. It, it's really interesting. You'll listen to the interview a little bit later. But Hercatch made his way to the next-gen final sort of out of nowhere at the end of last year. And the interesting thing for me about watching Hercatch alongside you was the name Andy Murray came up more than once. 
in the way he carries himself, his, his build a little bit. And again, that sort of deceptive ability to generate power without you really realizing that he's gone after a shot. And he, he was, a, was a pretty cool customer. He actually um, he withstood uh, quite a lot of pressure from Roger Federer. I think it was, it was just a little too much variation and experience for him. But uh, we'll be seeing a lot more of him. Probably be seeing Craig Boynton alongside as well. <laughs> now, Mars and I are going to be back with you a little bit later in the podcast, talking Miami and talking predictions. But in the meantime, it's been such a great 10 days or so in the desert. And for us, Jill Krabus has done outstanding work. She has been scooping up players, coaches, tournament directors, anybody that she could have a little chat with, she did. So what we've done is put together a few of what we feel are the best bits, some of the entertaining interviews she done, starting with Dominic Team, the winner, the champion 2019 in Indian Wells. But here in this interview, he expands a little bit more about that new coaching relationship. It's pretty special to play here with, with the desert air and I think no tournament over the year has so many changes in the weather. I mean, it was like six degrees in the first days. Now it's pretty warm and then rain and uh, other stuff. But uh, if it's uh, the conditions in general, they suit me well because it's a bouncy court. And for me, as always say, it's like a clay court, but uh, where you cannot slide. Do you, do you adjust uh, your game at all, for example, when it gets colder at night compared to during the day when it's a little bit hotter? Because the, it changes the bounce of the court, the ball as well. Is that mm, right? Of course, I'm not not doing too much adjustments. I try to practice maybe the previous day, also at night. Sometimes I change my string tension, but but not always. I don't really like it. But uh, yeah, in general, it's it's still a tennis match. <laughs> and you change your string tension looser when it's colder. Yeah, looser because it's uh, it's getting slower the colder it is. And um, I know it's relatively new. I know you just started working with uh, Masu as your coach, and I know it's tough to say because it's a relatively new partnership, but, but are there certain things that you particularly talked about before you guys decided to work together? No, I mean, he was in Austria for the Davis Cup, and then we decided to, to meet each other in Buenos Aires because it was convenient. He's from South America, and so we tried it out there, and it worked out very well, and it's always... He's very motivating. He really lifts the match as well in the box. And it's really working out very good so far. We had a great 12 days preparation prior to this tournament. So I think we are both happy so far, yeah. Well, I'm outside in the outdoor patio of player dining, and I'm pleased to be joined on ATP Tennis Radio with Vedran Martic, coach of Karen Hatchinoff. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, hi. Hello to everybody. <laughs> So I obviously would just want to talk about how well Karen is playing in this tournament. And he had an unbelievable year last year, won three titles, Paris indoors. Just talk about his progress and what you guys have worked on to get him to such in a, in a good state. Okay, he started this year uh, with third round Australian Open. Then after he had few losses first round in uh, 250 tournaments and in Dubai. But now he started to play well and uh, is the big, biggest tournament after uh, Australian Open and I'm happy that he started to play well again. Talking particularly about last year, what did you guys work on to get, have him such a successful year last year? What, what improvements do you think were the most in his game? Always his improvement uh, small and you cannot see he improved a lot of things. I think he's uh, aggressive, he steps more into the court, he sometimes comes to the net more than before. 
his percentage of serve was uh, really good last year. Uh, some tournaments he served uh, around 80%, 70%, so he served well. So a lot of things we work uh, and we try to improve everything a little bit. So you cannot do just one thing, and uh, but o overall, and okay, I think we prepare good for the matches tactically, so he knows how to play the guy and uh, that makes him maybe more confident before the match. And I know you said he had a little bit of a slower start to this year, but playing fantastic tennis here. I watched his last match against John Isner and I just felt like when I got to the tie break, there was something about his demeanor that I just felt like he knew he was going to win. I just felt like he was going to come through. Is that, have you guys been working as anything mentally as far as having that presence out there on the court? Yeah, but he knows how it's important to concentrate in these important moments. Uh, in tennis, it's always crucial to win these few points. Uh, when it's a big point coming, the guys who is winning these points probably wins the match. So he understands uh, how match going, and uh, he started tiebreak really good. He did the mini mini break uh, first point, and then he won two serves. He was already 3-0 up, and uh, and then he's in good position. So and. Uh, and then he managed to win. So, but uh, yeah, Isner is a really difficult uh, player to play. But Karen, okay, he managed to beat him four times in a row. But it's not easy. Always a lot of tie breaks, and uh, uh, Isner in uh, Paris had a few match points. But Karen could win in two sets because one game he was 40 love, but Isner served unbelievable. So it's against this big server. It's always a matter of few points, these big points, and who takes this uh, wins. So. Karen did that uh, yesterday well, that's why he won. Actually, Isner had chances too, but Karen served good uh, and uh, he had three break points in the second set, but uh, Karen uh, saved these three break points and tie break he played really well. And I know, um, you know you've been coaching him now for a couple of years. Coached him earlier, took a break, and then came back. And last year you traveled quite a bit, over 40 weeks, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, it was whole year. I think <laughs> only Davis Cups. Uh, I was not with him. I was uh, almost every week, practice weeks. We practice in Barcelona and uh, I live in Split in Croatia. So <laughs> actually these practice weeks, I was away from home too. So yeah, it was, uh, was really a lot of traveling. Is that something that you'll continue to do? Or are you you're going to cut back a little bit or what? Are you going to still travel with him full time? I'm traveling, but uh, in Dubai tournament, uh, other coach from Croatia, Misha Dodik, was with him. So, uh, okay, we need to see how how Karen likes that and uh, always depends on player. It's the most important that he feels well and uh, is... Uh, uh, my opinion is when the player is young, then coach need to be more time with him. When coach is older and more experienced, then he can use uh, two coaches more easily. So I, I think when the player is 22, like Karen, it's better that coach is uh, many weeks with him because you can control, you see, you cannot... Uh, if it's different opinions and you cannot explain to other coach everything, your ideas, and uh, if uh, one coach take talking something else, different, so it's uh, not easy for players. So it's important that we are talking same to him. And, uh, okay, so probably these players more experienced, older, they're 30, 29, 31, they can be without coach almost, uh, but uh, the young player is better to have a coach and probably the same one the whole year, but it's not easy to travel so many weeks.
Yeah, that team is so so important, obviously, the support group. And I just want to talk about um, his rackets as well, because he, he just recently had a racket change, is that correct? Yeah, he tried to play with other racket, uh, but now last year tournament uh, here he's playing again. Uh, he played with Wilson, so... Uh, so he's back to, to Wilson. Yeah, so at the moment uh, he's sitting with Wilson, and I don't know, we need to see. But so as far as just racket change in general, is that something that um, you experiment with for a particular shot, a particular reason, or to get more acceleration, or was it just a trial? He just tried the other rackets, and uh, we need to see how, how it will be. So we didn't decide yet, but uh, now he played well, so I, we need to see. Best of luck to you, veteran. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm sitting outside, it's a little bit of a breezy day, but I'm very pleased to be joined by none other than the magician, Fabrice Santoro. Hello. Hello, thank you for joining us on ATV Tennis Radio. First of all, it's so great to see you back here in Indian Wells. You know, when was the last time I came to When was the last time? Around 14 or 15 years ago. Wow, that yeah. long ago. That long, yes. I would have never known, you look exactly the same. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> First of all, I want to talk about your career. Congratulations, 21 years on the tour. High 17 in singles, six career titles, two Grand Slams and doubles, and a quarterfinalist at a Grand Slam. Just incredible career. Just just talk about, um, you know, your experience on the tour and, you know, playing the top guys. I know you've played Federer, Djokovic. You've had so many top 10 wins. Just talk about your experience on the tour and, and for that long of a time, what you felt like you had to keep improving. First of all, when you play 21 years uh, as a professional tennis player, that means you like the game and you you have a r- real passion for the game. Uh, so that's exactly the way I, I was, and uh, and uh, I'm still the same. I'm still uh, enjoying a lot to be on the court and watch some tennis matches, even if I'm part of my life outside of tennis. Um, so it was um, fantastic to be there to try to improve my game until the last minute of my career. And I was lucky or unlucky, depends how you see the picture, to be and to play with uh, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray and, and all those guys. And also I was uh, lucky to play just earlier in my career against Agassi, Sampras and Correa, of course, and Baker, Edberg and, uh, and all those champions. And so just talk about playing those guys, because you did span quite a bit, you know, of different generations. Um, just talk about playing those guys and, and uh, what an honor it was and just what you had to what you had to accomplish out there and what you had to improve constantly. Well, first, for, first of all, when I started my career, I was playing only behind the, behind the baseline. I was very defensive and with my two handed being de- defensive, I uh, after a few years on the tour, I understood that um, I will end my career very quickly if I don't change anything in my game. So I start to work a lot on my serve, my volley. Play. I start to play uh, many doubles tournament, and uh, that's uh, how I, b- I became a very aggressive player. And then you, you retired in 2010. How how hard of it was the decision to finally hang up the rackets and and to transition? Very easy to me because uh, you know yeah, there's three different. Uh, uh, way to to stop your career is there you um you lose your ranking and you move from 20 to 50 100 and over 100 and, and then you have to quit because all the other players push you away the second option is to to stop your career because your body cannot um, handle anymore and, and you have you have to stop because your back or your knee and you have a main problem and the third option which is the one i choose is to say okay i'm 37 years old i'm 45 or 50 in the world and uh, i want to change my life 
so once you once you made that change, you transitioned into some coaching and also some commentating. Um, when you started coaching and commentating, was there a part of you that all of a sudden viewed the game differently or learned more about yourself? Um, it's yes. I mean, it's it's very interesting to have a, a different vision regarding a new position. You have a new vision of, 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 of your sport, and that's that's what I found very interesting. Also to to, to communicate with players what I uh, my, my experience. Uh, I always try my best uh, to. Uh, to help and uh, the players I, I coach and to make them a bit better, and um, I still have the passion of the game. I mean, I, I, I really uh, I'm happy to be back here in California in this uh, amazing tournament. And um, when I work with uh, with my player, I mean, I, I I'm very happy to be on court. And did you learn any, any anything else about your game in particular that you felt like you know when you watch the when you watch tennis as from a coaching perspective is there anything that you learned about your game a little bit more or not necessarily yeah my game my game can help a little bit but my game was very different i know so you were it's, the magician. It's, it's it's very <laughs> difficult to teach my game because uh, uh we don't suggest um, a player to play like me it's too complicated <laughs> so i mean i always whenever i, I watch you play a lot um and i always viewed you as a very instinctual player um, so is that something that you try and portray to, to the players that you're working with? Um, well, part of. You have to, to have um, a plan in your mind and then if you can be instinctive, uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's fantastic. But uh, first I try to, uh, to, to explain my player that when you walk on the court you, uh, you have to know your opponent, you have to know exactly what you're going to do at least for the first 20-30 minutes. You must um, keep your plan for the f in the beginning of the match, and then after 30 minutes, if it doesn't work, you can change and try a new one. And, and last questions, because I know you're busy, but um, I just want your opinion on the. You know, a lot of guys are playing a lot longer than they did in the past. I mean, you had a very long career; you played into your late 30s, and that was unusual then. But now it's becoming pretty common. What what do you attribute to that? Uh, first of all, when I stop at 37 years old, the main reason is because I want to spend more time with my daughter, and I want to stay home, and I don't want to see my my suitcase in the living, living room for uh, <laughs> uh, anymore. But uh, I could have played at least two, three more years, I think, until 40. And that was my feeling. Um, I think now they play longer because the preparation is much better. They all travel with a physio and a fitness trainer and the diet is much better than it used to be. And uh, they travel in, in a fantastic condition. And, um, and also the recovery process now is much better than it used to be. Well, I'm outside walking around the grounds, and who do I run into but none other than high number five in the world with five career titles, Jimmy Arias. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us on ATP Tennis Radio. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> now, I wanted to talk to you because about this young kid that's, you're working for IMG now. It's a young kid that's Kechmanovic, who's playing extremely well. Um, I just wanted you to kind of give us a little bit of update about him and, and how you first first met him and got introduced to him. Well, how I first met him was actually sort of a funny story because... He was at IMG. I wasn't yet working with IMG, but I had an exhibition coming, and I hadn't played probably in a month or two. So I thought I should get a little practice. I called Pat Harrison, one of the IMG coaches, and said, can you get me somebody, anybody, even, you know, 14-year-old, whatever. I'm fine with anybody. I just want to feel the ball. And so he says, yeah, no problem. Come on out tomorrow. I came out, and who's on the other side of the net but Kekmanovic. And I know he's 200 in the world, and I turned to Pat and go, you got to have, I mean, 
I need a kid. I'm scared to play with this guy. He's 200 in the world today. I'm 54. You scared Jimmy? Come on. And what was funny was he feeds me the first ball. He does not know who I am in any way. He feeds me the first ball, and I literally shank it over the fence. He feeds me another ball. I hit that one. And then his first off of his first stroke, I shank another one out of play because I'm so jumpy and nervous. And the look on his face was fantastic because he's looking over at Pat Harrison going, who is this grandfather you set me up with? Um, and I ended up playing fine as time went on. Thank goodness. Yeah. And I actually, he didn't win many points when I got my first serve. And if I missed my first serve, I was in big trouble. But anyway, um, that was when I first met him. That's a great story. I love it. We talked about that the other day, a couple days ago, and I just thought that was a really funny story. But so you, you, he was 200 at the time. How long ago was that? Only a year ago. That was only a year ago, and now yeah. he's jumped up to what is it? 130 in the world, now. but obviously he's going to be higher after Correct, making yeah. the fourth round here. This is his first really good big result. I think people have been talking about thinking that he's going to be. You know, a lot of people tell me they they think he's going to be a top 20 guy for sure. And um, what, what about his particular game um, gets people to actually to think that, that he could potentially be a top 20 in the future? I think the main thing is just how he does move very well. And in today's men's game, you have to move well. And he's very solid off both forehand and backhand wing. He's got a good backhand down the line. Um, he needs work a little bit on a couple of things. One is a serve, which is getting better. Um, as far as uh, power placement? All of those things. Awesome. Power not as important. He's in the hundred mid 120s. I mean, obviously, he'd like to get to the 130s. He's a big enough kid that he should be able to get there. Um, but also, just hitting his spots and, and sort of percentage on the first serve isn't as good as it should be. Um, and then the other thing that he has to learn is when he hits a big shot to step up into the court and take advantage. He sometimes gets stuck because he's so fast. He gets stuck defending. And, you know, that's, that's a difficult way to play in today's game. I mean, Andy Murray sort of comes to mind when I think of that. Murray had a pretty good career, obviously. But he made the matches a lot more difficult than they maybe needed to be because he didn't hit anything. He just put it in and ran and eventually broke you down. But it's difficult. And also, I mean, we talked um, a lot about Kachmanovic as well, going through qualifying. I know you guys have uh, not going through qualifying, lost last round qualifying, got in as lucky loser. And, and you mentioned to me that he's playing much better from that point on. What, how was he able to get over that last round qualifying loss and then kind of regroup into the main draw? I think the funny thing is, is he knew he, he felt as though he probably should have won. He was playing Marcus Giron, who ended up having a great tournament himself. So, you know, no shame there. At the time, Giron's ranked quite a bit lower than him. I don't think he even knew who he was. And he was expecting to win that match. And as it kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter, he ended up serving for the match, Kekmanovic did at 6-5 in the third and played a little bit of a tight game. But um, I think what happened was, after that match, I actually told him, even though I'm not the, the main coach, I'm just sort of helping a little bit. I said, look, you." That guy hit so many balls in the service line, and you just put him back in play. You've got to take advantage when you get someone moving like that. And the next match against Martyr, first round, when he got the lucky loser, he did that so much better. He was so much more powerful, so much better at stepping up and taking a little bit of time away. I think it's not just what I said. I think a lot of that is he was nervous in that last round of qualities, and now he felt like... I've gotten a second. I've, I'm lucky that you are a lucky loser for a reason. 
I feel fortunate to be even in the tournament. Let's go for it. And, and you just mentioned briefly about, you know, how the game's changed a little bit. You touched on it saying the guys are moving so well now. And when you just look at, like, a Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, I mean, especially the way Djokovic played at the Australian Open final, which was just incredible in my opinion, um, what does it take to kind of step up to be able to beat those guys that have just continued to play well all the time? I don't think you can still, to be honest. They're better. They're just better than everyone. The problem is, in my mind, the game – everyone plays almost the same style. They all play from the baseline, they hit the ball pretty hard, they all move well, but those three names that you mentioned have done it better than everybody else. With the same game, they're better at it. And when you don't have a variety of games, if you're better at the same game than somebody else, you're gonna beat him almost every time. So those three guys are still better than everybody else, in dif for different reasons, by the way, but but they're still better than everybody else at beating this style of play that is today's game, which is heavy ground strokes, moving well, not coming to net much, that kind of stuff. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it, is it just a sense of those two guys being able to do it over and over and over again, that they've been able to get those pressure moments so often and convert? Or is it more of like handling those, you know, because a lot of matches are between one or two points is about handling those big moments well. I think it's handling the big moments and I think the problem is they have such a history of success in the big moments and people trying to knock them off their perch are sort of still in somewhat of awe. You've seen these guys winning so many titles for the last decade um, that I think when it comes down to the important moment the chances are the guy that's done it so many times is going to do it again and that's basically what's happened. Okay, well, I'm sitting in one of these small interview rooms, and I'm happy to be joined on ATP Tennis Radio with Marcus Giro. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We spoke the other day, and I spoke to you after you had just qualified, and there was so much excitement. And now you've gotten through your second round here, biggest win of the career against Alex Diminor, number 24 in the world. Just tell us how exciting that is for you. It's surreal, to be honest. Being, being here in the desert, it feels like a hometown tournament, and it's the only ATP here in Southern California, so... Getting the uh, getting the support has been amazing. Seeing all the Bruins and all just the all the SoCal fans is is, is truly amazing. Just talk a little bit about the match today. I mean, obviously Alex Diminor, It's hard to see an opening with him. He's so fast, pretty consistent player. What do you feel like you did well today to, to beat him? Well, I thought it was going to be a battle. I mean, I knew he he's had a tremendous year. He's top three in the world, and so I knew this was going to be a tough match. And <laughs> coming out and losing six one and I don't know, 15, Were you a bit minutes. nervous or yeah, understandably? I didn't feel that nervous, okay. but my arm didn't swing. <laughs> and so I guess my body, I don't know, had just a, a reaction. <laughs> um, and, so, and so after the first set, I mean, and then the getting broken the first game. So I was on a set and a break, and I just kind of, it's like, well, kind of just went back to it, just thinking, okay, what, what can I do? Be it, you know, adapt, be resilient. And, and I felt like I've done that really well this week on that court or in the second round qualities I, I was down to set in a break also and so I just thought you know I've done it once see if I can do it again and and put on a good show and and just give myself a chance and and have fun and and so it, it, when I when I had set point this second set I kind of thought how is this happening like like this kind of came out of nowhere and so I just kind of kept fighting and playing my game and and stuck to it. 
So just those slight adaptations that you had to make after you know losing that first set so quickly. What specifically do you feel like you had to do when you even couldn't feel your arm swing? Uh, just to, to to be aggressive, to go out and try to win the points. Um, I was trying to trying to be aggressive, kind of get the ball a little higher, and uh, I just was mishitting a lot. I was I was hitting. <laughs> I was trying to get over the net, but miss miss hitting a lot of balls and and keeping it short, and he was just punishing me. And I hit a lot of double faults, and so I need to I need to serve way better and uh, and make him play on his service games. I think his he didn't serve as well in the second set, so it gave me opportunities. Before we sat down and chat chatted, I overheard you talking to another reporter mentioning that in school when you first went to college, you didn't want to be one of the top players there because you wanted to earn your way up and work your way back up. And that's pretty impressive for someone because a lot of people want to come out and start right away on top. And sort of similar thing here, you had to work your way through qualities. Do you feel like that, just that attitude and that mentality really helps you through with your confidence? For sure, I mean, I think I think the only way to get better is to keep pushing the limits. And so and so, I, I wanted to go into school, there were terrific players. I mean, Kosakowski was there at UCLA. He, he ended up going pro, but then Clay Thompson, Nick Meister was there, Pouget, Carousel, Dennis McCurchin. These are all guys that were all either top 10 in the world in juniors or top 20 in the nation in college and top five in the nation in, in, in juniors. And so they were all tremendous players. And so going there, I knew it was going to be a battle every day, going to practice that whoever, that, that it was not going to be easy and that it was going to be challenged. And so... And so coming here, I think playing qualifying, playing the challenger last week, gave me some extra time to get used to the conditions. And so I've played a lot. I've played a lot of tennis here, and I think it helps getting those extra matches, getting those extra time in on the match courts. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think playing these matches have helped. To be honest, talk about that transition, your college experience a little bit, and the transition from college to the pro tour. Going to first going to college was a big transition because growing up in juniors, it's tennis is a very individual sport, and so I played high school tennis, but it wasn't the same as uh, as college tennis where you're on this team with just a group of eight to ten guys that you're every day you're with each other, you're training together, studying, and it's uh, it's a it's your family in a way, um, and so going there and having to UCLA the education the academics were tough. Um, and going and, and just there's a certain standard to be had playing with a group of guys and we were playing every match you're playing for a team and so it's bigger than you um, I mean fortunately the team was very good and had and so we had Mackie McDonald was on the team my junior year um, there's a lot of other guys that Carousel who's currently 400 in the world he played six on the team and so it was really a, it was a good team a lot of tough you know tough practices and good competition and then leaving college was uh, was a tough transition because once once I was in school for three years, I got so accustomed to being being on a team with everybody else, having everything taken care of. You have the coaching staff, you have the managers, you've got the counselors, you got the fitness trainers, um, and so in college, I mean, you don't have to worry about anything but school and tennis, and of course social, but nothing in terms of traveling. Let me book the hotels, and every match you play, you're playing with your team next to you and so it's um now i mean it's, it's really important to have a have a close team around you but it's still not necessarily the same and it, it took time to get used to when you're playing on a match and it's only about you and you look up and maybe there's a coach and sometimes there isn't um so it was sometimes it 
especially in the lower levels and futures and you're playing and there's 10 people in the stands it can be tough to be motivated um but it was uh it, it took a little time but um you know i wouldn't have done it any other way so you said so many interesting things there. I have so many questions now. <laughs> um, so that transition that you said, you know, everything's done for you in college and then transition to, yeah. you know, having to do stuff on your own. Um, is that something that you take care of or do you have a support team around you or how, how, how did you manage that? Is it, is it tough to be able to do that all on your own right away? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I think first couple of years it was a big change. And, and I mean, it was... In school, you do have to worry about the classes and time management, and so there there was that. But going out, I mean, it was a big, it was a big learning curve. Um, it it's still something I work on, have to f think about today. And uh, but it was definitely a learning curve, and took a, a year or two to kind of get accustomed to it. And I know, and then and then you also mentioned, you know. Obviously, you had a huge support group here going through qualifying, but you know, in instances when you're not maybe at your local, your hometown, yeah. close to your hometown, when you need that motivation and mm -hmm. there's not that many people in the stands, how do you personally find that motivation and get that fire within you in matches? I kind of I, I I go back to why why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? And I it comes to the love of tennis. I mean, I I think about my family, my friends, and everybody, and. And I kind of try to pull from all different areas when when I am when motivation is low, um, and of course, and I think about think about the big picture and how maybe these sm some of the smaller tournaments and are are, are stepping stone towards going, getting into bigger events like this. Um, and I think sometimes it can be tough, but I think it's really important to keep in mind every day how it's for the greater good. Um, you know, you have this momentum, got a lot of confidence building. Just your goals for the rest of the year and where you would like to, you know, be at the end of this year. Well, to start the year, I really wanted to make the French Open qualies, um, and it looks good for that. Uh, I I played junior French, junior Wimbledon, but I haven't played either of those in the in the pros, and so I'm really excited for that. Uh, for the end of the year, I would um, I would like to be top 125. I would like to possibly make main draw of Australian by, by next year. Um, I think they're tough, but doable, and uh, I'm excited. Well, I'm sitting outside in beautiful player lounge, and I'm happy to be joined by superstar coach Craig Boynton. Craig, thank you so much for joining us on ATP Tennis Radio. Well, thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure. Yes, I always enjoy talking to you, but different circumstances this, this time around. You're still working with two players, but one of them has become new. You're now work, you're still working with Stevie Johnson. Yes, I am. And a new player just recently, Hubert Horkatch. Yes. Did I say Hubert. it correctly? You did. Thank you. passed you. the test. But there's a nickname for him. Well, we, I just call him Hubie. So Hubie. Hubie's easy Okay. For me, and so, so how did this how did this coaching partnership come about? Um, well, Hubie uh, trained for a period of time uh, at Saddlebrook, which is uh, close to my house. I used to work at Saddlebrook. My son, who's in baseball, trains at Saddlebrook with Chris May. So periodically I, I would go up to Saddlebrook and uh, was introduced to Hubie and, and uh, watched him play a little bit. So I had I knew him a little bit. Um, he actually had a, a training session with Stevie in Australia. Um, and at the time, um, Sam Quarry and I's professional relationship was winding down. Uh, Hubie's coach, same thing with him, and contacted my friends at Saddlebrook 
and one thing led to another a couple of phone calls made and we just came about having a trial week here in Indian Wells and we jumped on the court for the first time a week ago Sunday and uh, he's you know getting to know him uh, getting to know his family his family is here too um, getting to know him better maybe I should say uh, it's been a lot of fun and he's a wonderful wonderful young man very good tennis players very eager very hungry very coachable uh, and so far it's just been a great fit and I was going to ask you what is it particularly about his game that attracted you to his to him in particular as a player and what you you felt like you could probably bring to that particular style well, it wasn't so much right now as a player it was more of him as a person that really intrigued me I'm just getting to know his game and and his what he can do what what would I do against him if I was a opposing coach so I usually start there and and that's get to work on the practice court but when you're at a tournament it's very difficult to change or work on things because primarily you want to compete and uh, Hubie's done a, a tremendous job about just the little information that, that I see and presented to him and watched a little bit of film on certain things. And he's been able to kind of morph that slowly into the match court. And here we are later, and he's already kind of putting that into play, which is incredible uh, when, you, when you think about what has to go through before introducing information, feeling good about it, and then actually using it on a match court. Can you talk a little bit more about what those specific things were that he was well, able to no. incorporate into the game? I'll, I'll be try to be specific but vague at the same time. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> I don't want to give away any details. Um, but no, there's there's some things that technique on a serve um, that um, serve is like dominoes. You know, if the first domino hits correctly, the sem- the second one goes and goes. But if one of the early dominoes is kind of out of whack, the end product is not going to be as as, um, efficient and smooth. So talking about that and also on the return of serve is timing of his split step where he he can be in the most athletic position at the point of contact. Uh, You know, little things like that, but they make such a big difference, especially how you start the point on serve and how you start the point on return. And um, you said you mentioned that he practiced with uh, Steve Johnson in Australia. Um, you obviously had to approach Steve about the whole new coaching, and and so just how did that come about? And how did Steve take it? Obviously, it's working fine. But how did Steve take it as far as working with, a, especially a younger player? Uh, Stevie, Stevie just wants kind of what's the best. Um, Hubie has a fabulous. Um, not I would say relationship with the guys, but they all know what a wonderful young man he is. And so having him on the team, um, you know, who wouldn't want that? I mean, he's a he's a tremendous young man. He's super nice, very family oriented, great values. And so I think Stevie's you know happy to have him around. Um, you see, it creates a little something different in scheduling, but we're just working through that, you know, kind of day by day. And they're not they're not. There's not that much of a difference in age. I mean, Steve, 29 years old, and, and Hubie, 22 years old. But obviously, Stevie having a little bit more experience. Just talk about the dynamic to, you know, an older guy that's been on the tour with more experience with a younger guy, what they can bring to each other. Well, I think for Stevie, he's he's not, he's pretty low maintenance. He's, he's a veteran of the tour. He knows what to expect. Um, he doesn't. He he has needs, obviously, but they're not as um, I say 
in depth as what Hubie would need as a as a as a rookie. And so it's a good mix of the two. Um, Stevie is, like you said, the veteran. He's going to get in, get his work done. Hubie's, there's still a lot of work to be done. So I'll, I'll be spending, spending more time on the practice court with Hubie. But still, that doesn't mean I'm not going to have quality time for Stevie. And he understands that. And, look, Stevie's he's had he's shared with another player probably his whole career because when we came out and we first started, I was with the USTA, and I had a minimum of two players a week. So Stevie understands that dynamic, um, and I think Stevie would probably think I probably don't need a full-time guy because I'm 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 in and out. I get my work done. I know it works for me. I know what program works for me, and uh, I want to go enjoy my life away from tennis when my tennis is done. And so that just affords me more time with Hubie. And just talking a little bit more about Steve Johnson, he had a tough one against Shapovalov the other day. He was playing some great tennis. Steve's high. 21 right now and currently he's 38 um what what tactics or mentality or style do you feel like you need to work on to get him back up to and hopefully push into the top 20 well you know the wise man told me one time look to get from 50 to 30 you have to do what you do a little bit better and to get from 30 to 20 you have to do what you do but just a little bit better which means to me you don't need to reinvent a wheel you know stevie just has to be a little as as anybody that wants to get in the top 20 you know they're not going to all of a sudden come out and be left-handed when they've been playing right-handed their whole life so it's just being a little cleaner a little bit longer and, and, and a little bit more each match um, you know, unfortunately, Stevie didn't have his best serving day yesterday, and credit to Dennis. He stepped in and just absolutely took cuts and was on his front foot early in the points, and Stevie was just kind of scrambling right from the rip. And so, look, from match to match, yes, Stevie needs to have a high percentage of first serves in and effective first serves in. You know, if they played tomorrow, the whole thing could switch because Stevie has a good serving day and Dennis maybe is off a little bit. So the margins are really, really thin and small here. So there's not like a big on-off button that's on-off. It's just things need to get a little bit better, a little bit cleaner, you know, more quality returns in play, more quality first serves in play. Um, off the ground, his backhand slice was great this week. He was hitting his forehand terrific this week. It just comes down to one or two few points here when these guys are so good that, you, you know, you need, to, you need to capitalize when you have break points. And you need to be able to play kind of your best tennis and your cleanest tennis during those big moments. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do feel like so many of these matches are down to one or two points. Do you feel like it's... It comes down in those couple moments to more um, mentality out there or decision making as far as what you need to do with in, in those moments with your game. Well, I think it, to, to answer that across the board, it really comes down to have clarity and commitment. And your clarity in terms of what you're trying to accomplish when you go to the practice court. And, and I'll give you an example. Say um, you're working on your return of serve and you're really trying to keep that low base. So for you people at home, watch the great returners right before they return and how low they are with their legs. They're that way for a reason to get into an athletic position so then they can cat like spring, left, right, Novak. Great that way. So if you have a tendency to maybe pop up in that moment because now you look at that moment like, okay, this is a break point, I can get back in the match, as opposed to, wait a minute, stay low, react. And so the clarity of what you're trying to, 
to then um, implement. And then after the return, you, you the biggest points of the match, you go with your A strategy. You know, what is your primary strategy when the ball's in play? Okay, the return is to be hit this way. Now what are you trying to do? So what's the A strategy that you go over with your coach as you play? And then you implement that. And you, ha you have clarity and commitment for that. And if the other player comes up with a shot, well, hey, look, they've got a set of skills that put them 20 in the world. And they're not there just by, you know, playing a good game of bingo. They're there for a reason. And so, you know, you tip your cap and guess what? You do it again. You do it again. You do it again. And maybe the fifth time is when you break through. But you still have to have that clarity and commitment on those big points. Excellent advice, Craig. Well, thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> thank you very much to Jill Krabis. Sterling work from Jill, and she'll be back later in the year with the ATP Tennis Radio team. And that was just a sample of her interviews. She did many, and some of them are those real fireside chats when she sat down with them and they didn't move for about 45 minutes. If you'd like to hear some of those and all the other bits and pieces that we do in our reporters, the interviews they get at the Masters, then go to our exclusives channel now you can find that on the TuneIn radio website or app it's a good app to have anyway if you like your radio and your podcast you can find our exclusive channel there and hear from some of the people involved at this tournament now something else we have got going on this year well we had it last year is the atp tennis radio predictions competition but it's a very complicated beast last year i don't think anyone got a handle of exactly how the points worked it was very confusing i don't know what happened in the end so we've changed it around miles you can't truly tell me that you understood everything about you're looking at me but you couldn't have understood everything about that predictions competition last year it was very simple. We don't need to go through it now, probably, because it's behind us. <laughs> I'm glad it's behind us. But we've had a little bit of a shake-up. We've changed things around, and we would like you to get involved. Each tournament, we're going to have um, a listener prediction. And for Indian Wells, it was San Antonio, who actually came second. Did actually very well. came second. Put everyone else to shame. And there was talk of banning San Antonio because they did so well, which, which I think is wrong, Miles and producer Russell. Anyway, so we want you to get involved. If you go to Facebook and you visit the ATP Tour Facebook page and join the ATP Tour fans group, you will have your chance to feature on the podcast. So here are the rules. These are the easy rules. I'm going to try not to make them sound complicated. Right. All you've got to do, so ahead of Miami, this is what we want you to do. Pick three players out of the following categories. One player seeded one to eight, one player seeded nine to 16, and one player outside the top 16. So, so their example for the picks, you could have Fedra, Tsitsipas, and Kyrgios. And from here, your picks will get points depending on how well they do during the the tournament, that's that's pretty straightforward. Is that straightforward? Got it. It's a lot more straightforward than last year. I'm going to stand by that. Now, The Dish got in touch on Twitter at ATP Tennis Radio with their three for Miami, which was Federer, Hashinoff and Anderson. What's wrong with that, Miles? Anderson, Federer in the same category, one to eight, aren't they? There we go. I love this. So new picks from The Dish came back with some new picks of Djokovic, Hashinoff and Bautista Agut. Allowed? Yes, Batista's outside top 16, isn't he? I love I'm doing all this testing. So he's them. dropped fed, huh? I'm just... I'm going, he's gone for a whole different... He just shuffled the, he's just shuffled yeah. the pack a little bit. Shuff. A lot of people have been leaving messages and predictions on the Facebook page. Brandon has gone Djokovic, Raonic, Vavrinka. That's a strong three. Mm. Yes, I think a lot of people would have picked Vavrinka this week, but he was in that Federer section. 
Djokovic, Medvedev, Kyrgios. That's from Utaksha. We've got Asif has gone Fedra, Medvedev, Kyrgios. And Jordan has gone Zverev, Tsitsipas, Ojealiasim. Ooh, that man likes to roll the dice. I quite like that. So that's a little bit of it. And it's great that all these people, and there are so many more predictions coming in. Brenton's gone Djokovic, Raonic and Dimonor. I like the fact they're all coming in. But I, I also think a word of, it's sensible, though, to wait for the draw, to see how the seeds and the other players land, right? I think so, yes, because there was, uh, I mean, for example, this week, I mean, Djokovic has got to be the favourite, but... He was in Kyrgios' section, and Kyrgios had a lot of us a little worried, as did Vavrinka in Federer's section. So uh, you can go in early if you like, but you can wait until the draw's done. But you've got to have him in before play starts. Miles is And that includes you, Gigi. Oh, I, I, no, I was only... There's one more little rule you left out, the, the, the Mercato rule. The Mercato, would you like to explain the Mercato rule? Well, if your player pulls out, you get the person that takes his place. Mercato... Peter Mercato, a mm -hmm. member of the ATP Tennis Radio team. You'll be you'll be hearing him throughout the year. You'll have heard him if you listen to the podcast on a weekly basis. We got together in Australia when we did the time capsules for ATP Tennis Radio because we had a lot of problems with Peter because <laughs> Anderson pulls out and he wanted Zverev. I gave him Misha, who was already out. He wanted Sasha. All got a little bit complicated. So this is very straightforward. Your player pulls out. You get the person that replaces them. I quite like Rebecca here. Zverev, Sitspas, and Dimitrov. Yeah, could be, uh, yeah, Dimitrov's due for something good, isn't he? Although he pulled out this week, so in Indian Wells. Shoulder, so we're going to, so I would say just wait a little. I, I was only late this tournament because I was waiting. The way you look at me, the, the, the doubt, the cynicism, because I was waiting because I was the only person that picked a qualifier. So I needed to wait for the qualifying competition to be complete. So that was, that was a very good reason. And then you got you got a lucky loser. And how did that work out for you? Well, you got through a round. That's all you can ask, isn't it? No, just in general, though, the rest? Um, I don't know. Haven't haven't seen the leaderboard. Haven't added them up yet. Haven't. I don't well, go on, it won't take I, long. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a lot to add up when it comes oh, to my uh, points. All right, McLaggen. I don't see you make it onto the podium. I'm just ticking. I'm like that marathon runner that just sits on the shoulder and waits for a final burst. And then gets overtaken by someone else when you're waving to your parents in the crowd. <laughs> you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> and I come running up, charging around the outside. It is a marathon, not a sprint. So please don't be put off by the scary competitive nature of Miles McLaggen. It's fine. Send in your predictions either via the Facebook page, the ATP Tour fans group on the ATP Tour Facebook page. Or if it's easier, you can send them in Twitter at ATP Tennis Radio. Are, are you set? Are you ready? Are you looking for... Do you have a gut feeling? I'm not going to put you on the spot with your predictions. Do you have a gut feeling about Miami? I think we might get a little rebound from Djokovic. Yeah. I think Kyrgios perhaps too. So those might... Uh, could very well feature in my uh, my list. And then uh, around it showed some good form. Hachinov again back. So, yeah, those uh, expect some of those names. And how about the new stadium? You're someone that's visited mm. the old setup for many, many years. This is a this is a big, big change. It, it's a big change. There's, there's this, you know, 
there's a history and tradition at Key Biscayne that's going to start new, and we'll see how, um, you know, what it's like, a, a new vibe for everybody. That's not something that happens too often. Now, Miles wouldn't know this because he's not on social media, but if he was, he would see that all the players have been taking videos of the new court, the new setup. This is where we are. This is what we're doing. This is what's happening. So do keep an eye on social media and those videos because players are already obviously at Miami and, and getting set to go. We, we cannot wait here on ATP Tennis Radio. The team will be back together again. We will have our predictions in. And thank you very much for listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. If you would like to leave a review, you can leave your predictions when you leave a review. Maybe that's like a, a two-in-one thing. I enjoyed the podcast and I go Djokovic <laughs> and just put your three in. You know what? Why not do that? But thank you very much for being with us. Uh, we look forward to your company. If you can't for some reason be with us during Miami, we look forward to your company on the next ATP Tennis Radio podcast. And if not, we are with you half an hour before play starts every day as we complete the sunshine swing. But for Mars and myself, Gigi, thank you for being with us. Thank <laughs> you.